This episode is the second part of our State Senate Spotlight series. We have released two 25-minute episodes spotlighting two different State Senate C26 candidates. My guest for this episode was born in Madison and has lived throughout the country working as a publicist, real estate owner, flower shop owner, and much more. This is the Madisonian Podcast, and I am your host, Ben Brown. Amani is campaigning from within a red, white, and blue RV. You will hear some cars going by from the sounds of her surroundings. This is the disclaimer. There are six Democrats running for state Senate seat 26. The primary is August 11th. Whoever wins the primary is running unopposed. Hi, my name is Amani, and I'm running for Wisconsin State Senate District 26. And prior to that, I was a field organizer for the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Okay. So, um, I was born in Madison, Wisconsin, and I am the youngest of five, and we grew up um, on the west side of Madison, Hillcrest Drive. Uh, we were one of the first uh, uh, black families in the neighborhood, um, and I, as a kid, I just remember having a, a really good time, all the kids, uh, we'd be getting together, um, you know, playing, uh, you know, kick the can, and riding my bike, my blue bike. Uh, and then riding it down to the uh, pharmacy, which uh, you could go get a bunch of candy, uh, and uh, just just hanging out, hanging out down on Wingra, down where the boats were, were, and we would eat uh, egg salad sandwiches. And um, my parents were, um, my dad was a professor at the university, and then my mother. Um, worked for Mayor Sarglin as a firm action officer. And as a kid, I didn't really realize uh, what they were doing. I just realized what the rules were. And then um, I didn't really have awareness of much uh, until I think it was, I don't know exactly how old I was, but there was a, um, fr- uh, a cross that was burned in our front yard. And and there I just remember being scared to, to walk around and I, I didn't really understand everything that was going on, but I know that that, that had an impact on me. And, and what, why, who had burned that cross and, and what was that like for you? Just how yeah. did that change you in yeah. your views? So I don't know the details of like who burned the cross as a kid. I just knew that there was this big, um, it was, it seemed gigantic to me. It was just too big pieces of wood that were like a railroad track, uh, you know, that the wood that's used in a railroad track that like somebody had to drag that there and then light that on fire. And I, I do remember that, you know, people came together and, and I think that's maybe where I picked up like community and what that means. Um, and then uh, I just, I think I stopped going to like Hoyt Park because I just was like afraid. But at the same time, then I have, we had all of our neighbors and, um, you know, our friends and, and we had just uh, different festivals that we would do in our backyard. So um, it was kind of a juxtaposition. Um, we left Madison, my mom and dad uh, divorced. Uh, and so my dad stayed here and we went to Cincinnati, Ohio. 
and there I went to the uh, School for Creative and Performing Arts there. Um, we all played a musical instru instrument growing up, and so uh, I had auditioned on uh, violin to get into the school, and I loved it. It was like the fame school, or, you know, it was like the glee school, where, you know, it was all about, you know, you wanted to do well in school because you wanted to uh, make sure that you were uh, in the school play, which was a huge production. It was actually, uh, I wouldn't quite call it Broadway uh, style uh, production, although some of the kids I went to school with uh, did go on, like uh, Sierra Jessica Parker went there. Um, and then we moved to Green Bay. Um, my mom was uh, working for Procter & Gamble, and then we moved to Green Bay. And I remember landing in Green Bay and really becoming really, really, really aware of race because, of course, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. And, you know, we had the hip stuff. And so we arrived. And there literally I did not see in Green Bay black people for days. And so um, I had to learn how to really adapt. And I remember being in sixth grade hating going to school. Like, what I would do is I would like, my mom would go to work and I would pretend I was going to school and I just lived like three blocks away from the school and I would just go down to the school, I'd wait like 15 minutes and I'd go back home and then I'd stay home. And so I think it was about three months, um, maybe that's an exaggeration, I think that's an exaggeration, but that there was a period of time where my mom had no idea I was not going to school or maybe she did and they were trying to figure out what to do. And... Um, I just felt so isolated, so, so alone, and so, like, um, yeah, just so different. And I remember, um, and this is where I think I get my diversity and inclus uh, inclusion uh, from, is I remember that there was this girl um, that was there, and one of the girls said, you know, you can be in our club if you just don't like that girl from Germany. And... They didn't like her, and they wanted nobody to like her. And I remember going to her house and, and talking to her mom about it. And then I said, I think I'm going to do my class report on Germany, and we're going to eat German food, and we're going to learn German culture. And I think I wore something German uh, because I wanted to make the point back then that, like, you need to get to know people before you just stop liking people. And I guess I could have been popular in that group if I had just, uh, if I just had obeyed. And just not liked her but I think we shared the same isolation that I was feeling inside I think that's another thing it's like I kind of tried to fit in like everywhere and um, so I think my experience in Green Bay I I, I, I tried really hard to, to create my own community and to 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 do something you know, it's like kind of like not break the rules, but not follow like the crowd. And so, but at the same time, inside, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm, 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 I'm hating myself in a way because I can't fit in. Um, and then I had a life changing experience in Green Bay. Um, I uh, graduated from the university there. At 19, I was a news reporter, already a professional news reporter for WIXX and WGEE. I actually covered local politics of all things. 
I was too young for the job. I did a great job for the job, but I was really concerned about like, oh, let's get this news story done so that I can go on my date at 10 o'clock. So um, what happened then is uh, I also had a flower shop, a retail flower shop, and I had a couple over my lifetime, but this was my first foray into that. And I remember my friend came, or who the person that would become my friend, um, David walked in the door, and the day that he walked in the door, um, he was like, hi, I'm David, and I thought I was so hip and all that that I was making a joke, and I said, oh, um, he said, hi, my name's David, I'm gay, and I said, oh, well, you must have AIDS then, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm HIV, if that's what you mean, and so what I learned from that is Sometimes you're like trying to, you know, let people know that you're they're okay, but you're really offending them. And what was interesting about that was David pulled me in or called me in instead of calling me out. And he did school me on HIV and AIDS. Uh, we spent the next two years together every day, and I became an HIV and AIDS advocate. Um, and hit Big Dave and Little Dave, they were a couple. And, and that's where I learned about love because, um, you know, here, here we have two gentlemen that are so in love and they're both dying and they're 28. And so that's where I learned what love is. And I wasn't, you know, a gay woman. I, I was, you know, black woman. I was, uh, now, now where I'm at in my life is I'm at 21, but there was something about their situation that I understood. I understood. I trusted that that was love. And so I have to say, um, I'm married now. I've been married, I think, 23 years. Um, but that's, that's the grounding that I get. And so they, they passed away and it changed my life and they schooled me. You know, I mean, I just can't even tell you all the different experiences that we had. And it was deep and it was so, it was like when I had to let them go, Oh, God, it still hits. When, when I had to let them go, I remember saying, like, to little Dave, like, saying, like, we were working on the flower shop and trying to race against time, this pandemic that he had to suffer, and saying, you know, we're going to get this done, we're going to get through Mother's Day, and then we're going to go to, uh, we're going to go to, to Florida. We're going to have fun. You know, because, you know, we're still young. He's 28. I'm 21. My goodness. And he's like, I'm not going to make it. And he didn't. And that changed me deeply. So Big Dave died a year later. And uh, maybe it was two years later. Uh, and I was living in Minneapolis at the time, and I would go back. And I remember, too, and this really, this whole thing, because it, it comes back to politics, because I'm not even realizing that my, my life is political, right? But I remember I was waitressing, and I was going to the university in uh, Minneapolis. And I remember that I knew that Big Dave was very sick, and I wanted to go home just to be with him and to take care of him. And I remember asking my boss, may I take off? For like a month or two said my friend is dying and then my boss is evaluating if he really mattered because he's saying well he's your friend right and I'm like well yeah he's my friend but he's like more like like my family and everything 
And I'm like, and he's like, well, you know, I don't know if we can hold your job open. I'm like, well, can I just like, can you guarantee me that you'll give me consideration when I get back? And he's like, well, you know, he just like didn't understand. Like my friend was dying in AIDS and why I would care. And I remember not really having a voice then and, and, and trying to, trying to appease what I just needed to like walk out the door and just be like, okay, forget it. And I guess at this time I'm, you know, 24 and it was really hard to get into this restaurant. It was, um, I'm not going to name it, but it was a, you know, a restaurant you made a lot of money and I had to like try to deal with the system of like, not seeing families as expanded beyond just yourself and not seeing uh, my friend as a human being or that his situation uh, his situation mattered. So I didn't leave my job, but one thing I did do is uh, it was a couple of days before I died. You know, I talked to him a lot, and I just felt something like I need to go home. I need to go back to Green Bay. And remember that this is a time period where it's not very popular. This is not popular. The president is not really saying very much about it. And if he is, it's under reluctance. And I got schooled on all that. All those talking points, I lived it, so I got schooled on it. So then um, I remember saying to my ex-boyfriend, I need you to drive me to Green Bay tonight. It's like It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, what? I'm like, I have to get to Green Bay tonight. And, he, and I'm like, I need you to drive me. So he drove me to Green Bay. I got to Big Dave's house and was able to say goodbye, and he passed away a few hours later. I just felt it in my soul that I needed to go see him. And it, it wasn't anything. It's like I had called his house or something, and somebody else had answered and said, oh, no, he's sleeping. And just I just felt it. So before he passed, he said, maybe one day you'll get to tell my story. So I just told the story. So I left Green Bay, you know, I'm in Minneapolis, and then um, I meet Rick, and that's, uh, that's my husband, and actually Rick and I, it's a long story, but we went to high school together, but he thought I was obnoxious in high school, and in peer group, he thought it was totally, I talked too much, <laughs> and it was obnoxious, but anyway, I'm, I meet Rick, we moved to LA, and, and by the way, he's from Green Bay of all things, too, right, Green Bay. I, I, I always say he's you know, a white guy from Green Bay, of all things, for me to end up with. But I love Rick, because uh, I knew what love was by then. And so we moved to Los Angeles, and um, uh, because he was going to practice as an attorney, and I'm working in public relations. And we were out there for several years, and then we came back to Madison, because I wanted to be near my family. And... You know, we thought it would be a good place to raise kids because L.A. is very expensive. If you're making under $250,000, which we were, you know, not quite at $250,000, but we were, uh, you know, we were not broke. <laughs> well, by the middle class standards anyway. Um, and so I just did, thought, well, the only way that I'm going to be able to, you know, raise a family um, where I have green grass and I have good school systems and it's safe um, is to... Uh, make like millions of dollars in LA. I would have to live in Beverly Hills or in a nice neighborhood in order to do to um, to do that. And uh, in the school systems, I had um, taught in the school systems out there, and I 
uh, was not pleased in any way by it. Um, there was lots of changes that need to happen. I went to work for celebrities instead. That's a whole nother story. Um, oh, go, please, thing. please go into that. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to hear about that. It sounds yeah, intriguing. So I was working as a, a publicist uh, for um, semi-famous uh, people because in, in, in Hollywood there's this ranking. As a publicist, I've worked with authors and, and products and, and um, you know, you know, what we call public figures or celebrities. So um, it was interesting, you know, it was it was really interesting. I learned a lot. I actually learned my the best lesson that I learned of, of working in that is that really people are people. It's amazing. You can have an actress that is on television and you think that she has it all together and in real life she has the same problems that we have it's just on a different level um and the other thing that i saw in hollywood is i had never experienced um a level of, of wealth i saw a level of wealth that i have i've never seen i've never seen before and and i've never i've never seen that level of wealth ever in my life before where um you know someone's dining room table is uh, $20,000, and each chair is $7,000, and the television that's hanging on the wall is $20,000. Um, at what at what moment did you decide that you wanted to move back to Madison? Was it right after the school system was you realized it was flawed, or or when when? You know what it was. I'm gonna be honest. Is I was pregnant. Um. I had had my first child, I had had, um, and I was pregnant with my second child, and I walked, you know, we were doing okay, right, um, you know, uh, Rick, Rick was working as an attorney um, in, in Los Angeles, and we were doing okay, and, um, you know, um, I, I, would, I would take uh, my daughter, Nia, for a walk, and um, we kept walking past this dog that had died, it was a dead dog on the sidewalk. And for like weeks, it was the same dog. And I think maybe it was like being pregnant, you know, your, your, your hormones switch around really fast. And I just thought, I have got to get out of here. I, can't, I don't want to have my daughter walk past the same dead dog every week or for weeks. I don't want her to just only value like money and fame and fortune. And I don't want to have to like work so hard that I'd never see my kids. Because and, and then they'll, they'll have a nanny and, and, and they'll, do, they'll have all these things because in order to have a basic life, you've got to, you know, it's very expensive there. And again, you had to adapt to change coming to Madison again. Yeah. But I bet you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So T- like I, about that. I came. It's funny. Uh, this lady asked me, you know, she could see that I was pregnant and, and I had Mia and I was like trying to carry her um, car seat and, 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 you know, luggage. And she came up to me and she said, I can hold your baby for you. And I, I stepped back from her and I'm like, no, no, I got it. I got it. Because in LA, it's like, you know, everything's an individual and it, that's, it's, people are hyper vigilant like that. And I had started to have that mentality. Like, 
oh no, you're not going to take my baby. You're not going to run off with my kid. And I forgot that people in Wisconsin, I'm a Wisconsin girl. I forgot that yeah, we talk to each other. I, I can open the door for you. I can hold your kid even if I don't know you. Right, right. So. And to clarify for the listeners, uh, Nia, did I get that right? That's your kid, Yeah, that's right? my daughter. Nia is yeah, Nia yeah, is yeah. now a teenager. Yeah, she's now a teenager. Right, right. So, um, yeah, so it was it was interesting. It was an adjustment, again, uh, coming, coming back. And, you know, there was a lot of great things about Los Angeles, too. When did you realize that? Um, you wanted to strive to make change. I know you, you like from when Dave and Dave, yeah, big Dave, little Dave, when yeah. you started to get educated, yeah. educated on, on their struggles, but also like, just tell us about how you got into politics yeah. and, and made that yeah. transition. Yeah. So, um, so I'm back here, um, you know, um, I'm in real estate management and I own real estate and everything. And I think really where I got to start to peek into to my life as a political life, like, you know, people say, you know, you know, all politics is, you know, um, all, your, your life is political. You know, I think most of us do not uh, believe that we're, we go around and we're like, yeah, OK, OK, let me just, um, you know, we get over the target. And I'll, you know, I'll sign the petition. But we don't really get that. Like if you run into a situation or you have a situation that where your rights are affected until until you get there you do not realize it's political so what i mean with with big dave and little dave by the time we got to well you know the marriage protection act was going on in la i did not agree with that um and i didn't actually sit there and think oh you know what big dave and little dave would want to be married i mean i didn't like take myself into it in it as much until I went through a situation that was absolutely life-changing, as if these things weren't enough, right? Long story short is um, we ended up losing $4.2 million worth of property and living in Super 8. It was 2008, Great Recession, lots of different, um, uh, lots of different uh, things that happened um, that, that brought it to that. But I remember feeling so, like, just violated and i remember like just i like here i am like i've had all these experiences and done all these things and i don't know what to do so let, let me not go way down into this let me just fast forward on this <laughs> 10 years five banks we went from circuit court court of appeals wisconsin supreme court circuit court and that i spent fifteen thousand hours in one statute that relates to housing and that affects the city, even if you're not in foreclosure. And, I, and, and there's a lot of things that I've learned that I feel like I can bring to the legislature about that, 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 that would make a difference as now that we're in COVID-19. And so maybe people can understand it on a different level other, other than thinking that we were just, you know, financially uh, irresponsible, which was not the case. Um, so, so within that, I started to really get it that politics had something to do with it and that the solution perhaps uh, was there. Now, I remember having a conversation with um, uh, Senator uh, uh, Lena Taylor and she's like, you know, Monty, uh, you know, come see me about this. And I was like, you know, 
why would I come see you? What are you going to do for me? I mean, I didn't even understand, like, it's not that I didn't understand, like, you, uh, history class or, you know, government. I didn't understand how it works. And I don't think most people do on the level that we're talking, right? So what she was trying to say is come, come talk to me. We'll hear about your situation. We'll find out what you think should be done. And we'll see how we can write that as law, okay? And so, like, part of this makes me resistant to just go out and spew policy that, you know, uh, that um, I know that is people have researched deeply. And so I am your voice. I am your advocate. I am your spokesperson. But to say I'm an environmental uh, uh, specialist is not the truth. For, for people to say I am a house, I can say I'm a housing specialist, right? But, um, you know, in 846, I know a lot about 846. I don't think anybody that's in this race can debate me. They can debate me on it, but I feel like I'm an expert in that because I spent 15,000 hours on it. So moving beyond that, I realized in some that we have all the responsibility responsibilities as rugged individuals, but we don't have any of the, the protections. Um, we don't have any of the protections. Regular people don't have the protections because I was looking in the statute for the protection for me and it wasn't there. Because when I lived at Super 8, I saw families there. I saw individuals that were living there. And then I got to see how other people lived like this every day, no chance of getting out unless, you know, something extraordinary happened. And 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 having to, to be viewed as like you're not responsible, that, you know, uh, it's just, it just changed my way of thinking and opened me up to seeing people and the humanity in people. And it took all of that for me to discover that. I was a middle class homelessness that no, that, that's here in Madison and in every city and, and coming to your neighborhood soon uh, that nobody talks about. There's times I didn't think I was going to make it as a human being. Like my kid's mom was just going to be gone. And how did how did you rise up from from that that place? How did you yeah yeah how did you get out of that that place? Well, you know, a lot of work, a lot of forgiveness on, from people that um, had lost money with me and had really been dragged into the situations that they didn't want to be dragged into. A lot of reflection. Um, a lot of good people that were able to, you know, you know, give us direction. Strangely so, I was trying to figure out how to keep my kids on honor roll while being homeless. And so I started to try to chart it out, and I came up with like 26 different points that that were needed to 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 able to to be able to get through this. I think out of that. And having such a variety of experiences there and meeting such a variety of people, 
um, is where I really started to think, gosh, I think some of these solutions might be in the case of being united in our differences. Uh, so, fast forward, uh, Mayor Soglin, uh worked on his campaign. He lost, and I said, okay, well, I'm, I found the room finally. I, I actually, I got it. Like, this is where it's all happening, and this is where I can make a difference. And so I either wanted to work on a national um political campaign, a presidential, or work for the Democratic Party, and I ended up doing both. And as I am working, I was doing work, uh, grassroots level work for Pete Buttigieg and on a larger capacity, and then I worked for the Dems, uh, the uh, Democratic, uh, I call it WIS Dems, it's the uh, Wisconsin Democratic Party, um, uh, Democratic Party of Wisconsin, GPW, but I like to call it WIS Dems. Um, long story short is within that, I really started having a lot of deep, deep, deep conversations. And what I found is that the majority of the issues we all agree about, it's just a matter of how it's language. It's just a matter of semantics. It's just a matter of like understanding that I may not understand what you're going through, but I understand that everybody needs to have food on the table, that I understand that like you know, in this COVID-19 pandemic, and therefore beyond that, we need to, I need to be able to get, um, you know, go to the doctor. And I understand, like, I'm not a student anymore, but I understand, like, crushing, like, student debt. Like, you know, I wonder for my kids, I wonder for my kids who are teenagers now, like, how are they going to afford a, a rent at $2,000 a month in Madison, Wisconsin? They're going to have to, you know, we won't get into that. But you know, that's where it's like you start to realize that's that's what this is about. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, so the election is on April eleventh in Monica, Wisconsin. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Um, yeah. Madisonian Podcast is a production of Benjamin Brownie in association with We Are Productions. It's hosted by Ben Brown, cover art, editing, producing, and booking by Ben Brown. Interning by Nev Fisher. Thank you for the help. If you are a Madisonian and would like to be on the show, please email at benjaminbrownieproductions at gmail.com to express interest. Please support us by buying our merch at teespring.com slash stores slash the Madisonian podcast or click the link in the description of this episode.